Welcome to the Understanding Men podcast, which is basically two guys talking about uh, what men could but don't talk about anywhere near enough. I'm Luke Sutton. I'm with my, my great friend, Fraser Franks. Fraser, how are you today? I'm really well today, Luke. Thank you. Really well. I've been really looking forward to this second episode because that first, the first one we did was, was such an introductory one that it kind of really got me excited about getting stuck into really punchy subjects, I guess. And we're definitely diving off the deep end today. Just to let you all know who, who are listening and watching, today we're going we're gonna to start tackling this won't be just one podcast but the overall topic but we're going to be looking today at, at male insecurities which like which will cover more podcasts than just this one but today particularly male insecurities around body image and sex which i think genuinely hand on heart is something that men don't get anywhere near talking enough about and I really do think, maybe naively, but I'm going to hang on to that, that there might well be a lot of men who listen to this podcast and resonate with it, but have never had that conversation out loud. So this is very much diving off the deep end, but let's do it. So Fraze, you, you, you start us off. I, in, the, in the first podcast, you, you mentioned about some of, some of the body images that you had had in the past, and, and I thought it'd be a good place to start. Why don't, why don't you just talk us through that? and what your experience was around that yeah it's, it's really interesting timing that we're having this as well because a couple of days ago I was in with the RPA the um, Rugby Players Association delivering I don't know how I find myself in this position but delivering a session to all their new intake of professional players around porn culture sex um, consent and body image came under that as well and I'm always really conscious and particularly in a team sport lots of testosterone, lots of alpha males, lots of people trying to outdo each other and compete and stuff like that. And it goes into other areas. Uh, It goes into the way that we talk about women, the way that we treat women, the way that we compare bodies, I think is huge in sport. You get in the showers, whether it's your torso, your size of your penis, whatever it might be, you're comparing. And uh, I think when you are growing up, I've also got an 11-year-old nephew that I've spent a lot of time with in the, in the last couple of weeks. And I reflect back on what I was like as a, a really young, naive 11-year-old, but one that felt like I wasn't normal. And I think a big reason for that is comparison. I think even more so for young kids now that are around that age, it's the influx of pornography and how readily available it is and the actual stuff that you are going to consume on that or could consume at a young age is quite alarming which we might touch on in a little bit because that was a big part of the session I did the other day but my own personal experience we had a little chat about this before and I remember a couple of really vivid and they seem really small but they can't be that small because I still remember some of them now I remember one occasion where I've got a cousin that's a couple of years older than me and just like really it's really like innocent as young kids but he had hairy legs and I didn't have any. And he was only about a year or 18 months older than me. And I remember being so embarrassed that I didn't have hairy legs. And I remember going and playing football at his house one day and there was a comment from a family member. And this is where it, it sparked it off. It was like, you've not got any hairs on your legs yet, Fraser. And that family member would never have meant any harm, would never ever remember a comment like that because it's tiny, really. But it stuck with me. 
And I was like, I haven't got any hairy legs. And he has. And I remember going around to his house playing football and it was a boiling hot day. And I would not take my tracksuit bottoms off because I was like, I don't want one of these comments again. So I really remember that. And I must have been, yeah, probably about nine or ten. And I really remember that. And then I think when you start going to high school, which is why I've started to be more conscious of my, my nephew who starts high school next week. You get people of all different shapes and sizes. Puberty kicks in. You've got one lad that's got a tash at 12 years old. <laughs> You've got another lad that looks like he's still seven years old. And I just think with young lads, with men, those insecurities maybe develop really early on, really innocently through little comments or comparisons, but they can really affect you and bleed into things that you do later on in life. And I think as men, there's still lots of us with with body image issues, whether it's, you know, I was a very skinny kid, very short until probably about 16, 17, where other people were more developed than I was. And then on top of that, in a sporting environment, you're getting chucked in the showers with these people. So there's nowhere to really hide. Although I did my best to hide when I was about 14 or 15. <laughs> but yeah, you start to develop these and start carrying these little insecurities. And, you know, as we grow older, it might be, you know, your legs or you might be a bit overweight or it might be, as I said, it might be the size of your genitalia, whatever it might be. But we never talk about this kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> we never talk about that. We want to say, you know, we've got it all together. We're absolutely fine. Men don't need to talk about this kind of stuff. Get on with it. And um, I think a lot of men develop complexes or feel like they aren't normal. But when you actually have these conversations, a lot of people feel the same or have felt the same. Well, you know, I, I want to ask you about that 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 phrase you you said right at the start is that you didn't feel normal. Mm. Just explain that. So, what what where did did that come from? That comment, you know, about your legs, or did it come from being skinny? What what was describe that to me? I don't know. I just I just felt like, am I the only one worrying about this kind of stuff? Because it seems like, why should I be worrying about hairs on my legs and? You know, as I've grown older, I've, I've played with players that shave their legs or that literally haven't ever had a hair on them. And it's no issue at all. But I think when you're young and you're growing up and you're going through puberty, you're in a bit of a rush. You're in a rush to get, you know, your first hair on your legs or under your armpits or whatever it might be. You're in a rush to lose your virginity. You're in a, You want it all now. And you might see other people ahead of where you are. And there comes that comparison and then... I do think when you you begin to consume things like pornography and you see distorted body images on there and you're like, well, mine doesn't look like that and I'm 12 years old, you then start going, God, well, you know, I'm too embarrassed to sleep with a girl or, you know, they're going to laugh at me or and all that kind of insecurity starts creeping in. And yeah, I, I did feel pretty much like I was on my own because I didn't have anyone to talk to about this. I didn't have... I didn't have a grow up of a, a father figure in the house or anything like that. We definitely didn't talk to your mates about it. I uh, I laugh and joke that I was a little bit like Jay from the Inbetweeners, pretending <laughs> and making up lies and saying, yeah, I did this and kissed that girl on the weekend and did that. But underneath it, I was just like a really insecure, quite socially awkward kid. And yeah, I think I, I think I definitely struggled with a lot of that, uh, you know, particularly in puberty and early teens. Yeah, I did. you know, I was actually in the lead up to this podcast, I was thinking about the in-betweeners because I think it's a show that, uh, you know, it's hilarious, but I think men find it hilarious because they're kind of, it's like the unsaid 
sort of humor of how ridiculous yeah. everything is that goes through our minds and it's kind of it's, i think we find it funny because someone else is saying it and, and there, there's that that side to it i mean it, it's really interesting because i distinctly remember i'm trying to think how old i would have been it would have been probably about 10 or 11 something like that i think i i remember uh leaving the a school swimming pool and at that point in my life, actually, I was a I was a very good swimmer. I was a competitive swimmer, and I was we had we had a school event, and uh, I'm not going to name the girl girl's name because I'm friends with her now, and she doesn't even know about this, which is mad. But as I walked past her, I heard her say to a friend, "Oh, Luke Sutton's a bit fat," and honestly, that comment it's well, I'm 46 years old now, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and it just had a massive impact on me. And the thing is, what, what I do think is really worth saying is obviously both men and women go through this, you know, mm. and teenage years, puberty affects everyone. It doesn't matter about your gender. I think the point is, is that as men, we don't really talk about it. Whereas I think for girls, because I think it's a vulnerability, isn't it? So it's almost yeah. like a sign of weakness. And um, but that comment sat in with me, well, forever you know mm-hmm. and and it kind of made me really conscious about i do, it, i always joke as well because it, it sort of was a reflection of how how spoiled i was by my mum and and how she used to tell me i was so beautiful i was so all this and so the first time i heard a sort of negative comment i was like oh, that doesn't align with what my mum's been telling me she says i'm perfect <laughs> and it just had this huge impact on me and then i was like forever forever looking at my body, comparing my body to other people, which I know is, is a normal thing, but it did carry into my adult years, you know, mm. and, the, and that, that professional dressing room when you're, you all shower together, you're all there, well, you know, even professional sport, you get body fat tested, you know, you get, it's just, it's on you, isn't it? It's part of your life. Oh, that comment honestly really stuck with me. Still like, maybe you're a little bit fat type thing. Yeah. And, um, I think we, I, I think it's interesting that I think for men, we, well, maybe I'm, I, I'm de- I don't want to be in, in um, caught in the trap of talking for mankind here, but I'll just say it in my experience is that I think we expect, I expect, or I think it's, you know, the women will talk about these things. I just do not expect for men to talk about these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. We'd, I'd never have that conversation with another man and go, oh God, you know, I had this comment and it really affected me for years. I always thought I was a bit fat and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. maybe almost got a bit of body dysmorphia about it and all that kind of stuff. It's just like we don't open up that channel in our vulnerability and our m- emotional capacity to actually say it. It's a strange thing, isn't it? It's, it's interesting you say that as well. Did, do you think, did you see that a lot with other players in cricket with like the body fat tests and comparison and stuff as well in cricket it was it was a lot because cricket isn't just a physical sport you know you you did a modern day cricketer has to be fit no question of it and the guys that are playing are are very you know some of them are extremely fit but not all of them you know not Mm. all of them it's not like football where you have to be of a certain level of fitness in cricket you get a real variety you know and, and you get players who are not their game isn't reliant on on peak physical fitness you know spin bowler or a, you know a wicket keeper batsman who you know might not feel they need to be that that fit so there's quite a variance in body shapes also quite a variance in in and background and culture a lot of asian players who 
you know, I've grown up with a completely different environment around fitness and diet and things like that. And so, yeah, I think, I think there was, and, and it was interesting because the day you do your fitness testing, and we used to always have a particular day that was dedicated to fitness testing. I don't know, it was almost a little bit like a name and shame type day. I don't know, I don't know how that was for you in football. Was everyone pretty fit? It was exactly the same. No, you still get like a lot of different body types for sure. But this point came up. Uh, I was on a course at St. George's Park about 18 months ago and a female player talked about this and she was, and it's it's interesting getting their perspective and I didn't push back on this and I wish I almost would have done. She was talking about the differences between the men's game and the women's game. She was a female player and she said that the the their fitness coach had posted their body fat um, scores on the changing room so they'd all done them and they posted them on the wall in the changing room so it was literally listing who had the least who had the most and she was like you can't do that with girls like we're so emotional and it's different times of the month and we're carrying water here and we're doing that and then she said it's fine to do it for the men because they don't care about that kind of stuff and I didn't push back Mm. but that stayed with me on the journey home and I was like no maybe men pretend it doesn't but if you're bottom yeah. or you're labelled the fattest in the team out of 25 lads, you're not telling me that you're not taking that home and that hurts. And, you know, I remember being slightly above or slightly below or even if it was something else you're being tested on being at the bottom of it. Like you are, you know, you're embarrassed and it hurts you and you do take it home into other behaviours. Maybe it's the way that you eat. And I've had a few conversations with with the work that I've done in cricket around this of, you know, if they're if, if a player's bottom or is labelled the fattest, they may be going home and not eating that night. And that can develop some mm. really unhealthy behaviours around food and restriction and stuff like that. But I just thought that comment of going, Well, men don't really care about this and going, actually, we all we all would, we all do, but maybe we don't show it or maybe no one really thinks about it. I, I manage um Nile Wilson, who's an uh, ex Olympic gymnast and the gymnasts have unbelievable physiques. You know, Niall in his prime is just incredible shaped body. But their insecurities about their weight and their body are just rife, you know, because they were, it was so in comparison. It's like, how fast can you move? My body's too big. I'm too skinny here. I'm too, it's just all over the place. Yet to, to you know, coming off the street and you just look at Niall Wilson's body, you'd go, he looks incredible mm. shape. So I think it exists all over the place. And obviously we're highlighting sport, but I think it does in lots of different aspects. It it goes back to, I think on the the first podcast, I was talking about that that kind of old construct of that a man needs to have all the answers. A man might feel like he needs to have all the answers. He needs to, you know, be on top of everything, be on top of his insecurities, not have body image issues. It's, you know, I'm a man, I'm, you know, that's okay for women and they can talk about it. But for a man, no, I, I can't do that. And I, I don't I have no statistics to base it on, but on this podcast, there's two of us and 100% of the people on this podcast of men have had body image issues at, at some point in their life. And I would hazard a guess that a lot of the men listening there would be a lot of identification with that. But yet, for some reason, we've got ourselves trapped in this place where we can't acknowledge that, we can't accept that. And I think, I do, I do, I know you mentioned it briefly before, but I, you know, I want us to kind of touch on the impact that porn has had on, on 
men in general in recent years. And, and, and I, I do worry for young men. I've got, you know, uh, a son and two stepsons and that the, without getting too sidetracked, I think the impact on, of porn on young men has been so detrimental because those body, body image issues, and we'll move on to sex in a minute, but there is a, a depiction of a guy who's, you know, having sex with a woman and, and, and that's what the man must look like during that time when he's having sex with that mm-hmm. woman. And for young men with any kind of insecurities that are floating around with there, that's incredibly damaging. As I said, it's interesting timing with the the session that I've done this week, and I'll I'll talk you through a little bit of that if if if, if that's all right. Like some of the session that we do deliver, yeah, um, around it. around that culture of of pornography. So I've got some of the like the statistics on the top of my head just because I did the session two days ago. But what what do you think the average age of a young male in this country? What do you think the average age is that they first view pornography? Oh God, Fraser, this is going to horrify me. I think it's going to like, it's going to upset me. This, I know. Um, I'm, I'm going to. It's obviously low. But I'm going to say like twelve or something like that. Eleven. So you're not far off. So oh eleven years, eleven years old is is the average, but they've got a lot of like statistical data and the research. Average. Yeah, the average, and but but kids are seeing it as young as seven. And they've got this data from kids that are seen it as young as seven and bless them. Like they're typing in things on Google or when they've got a phone, really innocent things like boobies. That's how young they are. They're typing in things like boobies and they're ending up on the Pornhub and, and websites like that, really graphic websites. And I don't think there are, you know, the parenting controls, a seven-year-old can easily get around a lot of those, <laughs> you know, they are, I look at my little girl, she's four, the way she, the way that she works on iPad. And we try and restrict that as much as we can. But a seven-year-old is, is quite sophisticated when it comes to that. And maybe, you know, the mum and dad don't think, you know, seven years old isn't going to go on anything like that. But the average age is 11. Now, if you're getting your first glimpse of sex from a website like Pornhub, then that is an unhealthy way to view a relationship between a man and a, and a woman or a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, whatever it might be. And this is like an interactive, fun bit, gets them all going a bit silly. But we get them, before we list, uh, before we tell them the average age and stuff, we get them to list, and we say, right, you've got 90 seconds, piece of paper, list as many outrageous pornographic categories as you possibly can in the next 90 seconds. So the rugby boys on Wednesday, they absolutely love it. They're coming out of all these wacky and outrageous categories that you can find on on Pornhub and they have a laugh and I I get them at the front and I read them out and the point is we then come on to the average age of the 11 year old seeing it if you've got an 11 year old brother or whatever it might be some of these categories that you've just shown me that is what they're seeing for the first time as sex so they're seeing things like choking and slapping and grabbing and four people here and one person there and the guy looks like this and the girl looks like that for for a young kid it is like oh my god you know and automatically you're going to feel insecure but automatically it's going to create you know a, a scenario in your head that isn't healthy that isn't real 
you know, those are actors and um, it creates that distortion in your mind. And I work with a lot of football clubs and young players now and I often get called in from the outside as like a third party when they have an incident at a club. And I've got a handful of incidences of probably lads between the age of 15 and 18 where they've got a girlfriend, they, you know, start to become sexually active and they'll be a bit rough and they'll slap or they'll grab or they'll do something that the girl is not ready for. But the lad thinks it's normal because that's probably what he's grown up watching, consuming on a regular basis. The girl will then maybe tell her parents or, or call the police, which we had on occasions. And then it's like a club investigation. And it's like, where is this coming down to? Well, I think porn probably has a, a big part to play in it. He, he thinks this is what he's supposed to do. This is how he's supposed to act. When actually it isn't. That's a performance. It's not a relationship. It's not healthy. And then on top of that, chuck a sporting environment where everyone's talking about it and telling their own stories. It's a, a recipe for disaster for me. I, I, I can only talk from my, my experience, but I, I think what porn tells men and women for this matter is that it's a performance. It's an act. It's like a scene. It's like, this is what should happen. You know, this, and you do this and then you do this. And, and it's not, there's no intimacy. There's no like connect. There's no connection. There's no, there's no, um, and I'm not trying to sound all kind of like flowery and lovey dovey. It's, it, it's not that. It's just that, that the impression that, that that gives a young man is exactly what you said. It's a performance. It's an act. It's like we need to tick this, this, this box, then we need to tick this, uh, this box, and we go through in sequence, and this is, this is what's going to happen. And that performance, therefore, there is a total loss of intimacy and connection and respect and boundaries. But there's also pressure this pressure for that young man that, that that that's this is what I need to be doing because this is what is told whether a that young man is able to do it whether they want to do it they feel comfortable doing it that it, it distorts the the whole thing into a place that essentially young men are taking what they've seen on in a porn studio into their bedroom and that's what has to you know continue and go on and I I, my own experience without kind of like going too far with this is I had to understand how distorted that had got and understand about reconnect to being about intimacy and 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 it's it's not just love but Intimacy, it's a kind of different thing, isn't it? It's, it's a, there's a gentleness, there's a softness to it, there's a vulnerability to it for man and woman in, in sex or man and man and woman and woman, whatever it might be. But there's an intimacy, a vulnerability, which porn eradicates. It says, no, 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 especially not for the man. You're the one in charge here. You're, you know, you're doing this. And it's so damaging. I, I, I remember when I, when I first started playing professional cricket and, I don't know how this was for you in football, Fraser, but there was 100% a culture of being unfaithful to partners, 100%. No, it's, you know, it's that secret that no one wants to say. But when I started, it was absolutely common culture. It was, that's the way it was. 
And I absolutely remember like 17, 18, just going, oh, right, okay, this is, this is what we do, is it? This is, this is how it goes. No, there was no one. And I've, I've been challenged about this by, you know, people previously to be, oh, this is boys will be boys type thing. I'm like, yeah, but have you seen the rate of divorces and dysfunctionality that comes out of it? It's, it's horrific. And the alternative is that you, someone goes up to a young player and goes, listen, you know, you know, what we do around here is we treat women with respect or our partners with respect. We're, we're faithful. We're honorable. We're, you know, that, that's an alternative, isn't it? Now, it doesn't mean that every relationship is going to survive, but the message is so much healthier as, than what it was. And I'm not, you know, this is not a, um, doesn't make any excuses for any behavior that's ever gone on at all, but it definitely was the culture. And then you just add in this element of porn and the level of a toxicity is just, it's dangerous. I don't know, was that, how was it for you with football? It was, um, <laughs> it was exactly the same for me. And I, I don't want to come across as though, like I, like you said before, like holier than thou and it was, you know, all the other footballers were like this. But I, when I got chucked into the world of full-time football, I was I was a 16 years old virgin, you know, didn't have a girlfriend. I was then in a youth team, but I quickly, like really quickly actually in, in comparison, got chucked into a first team environment. So pretty much, I think it was before I was 17 or just as I was 17, so didn't have much time to adjust to full-time football with players my age so then getting chucked into a changing room with like 35 year olds and I was very you know like a like a young pretty much a young 16 17 year old and I would often be you know I'd be training with the first team I'd be traveling with them on the game often I wouldn't get in the squad so I would often on home games especially be put in the in the box with the the wives and the kids and I'd be you know talking to them and playing with the kids and stuff then I'd go on a night out with these lads or on a pre-season tour and I'd see the same thing and at first I was like oh my god I, he's got a wife and he's got kids and then it quickly does become the norm where it's like oh yeah there he goes again and some of these you know maybe it was their character they had no remorse and no guilt associated to it, but I saw so many that didn't want to do that, but they felt like they had to. I'm really fortunate that I I feel like I stayed single for a long time, like in, in my you know my teens, in my early twenties, had little relationships here and there, but it wasn't until I met met my wife and I was a little bit you know later down the line, a bit more mature. It was my first proper relationship, but I'd signed for a new club, and one of the first questions you get asked was, "Are you a straight batter?" And I didn't know what that meant at first, but it meant, yeah. do you cheat on your partner? And what like, what a question on the first things or on the first nights out you go on, do you cheat on your partner? As if like, you know, you're supposed to. And I remember saying, you know, when I was with Stacey, I was like, no. And it was some idiot that asked me it anyway. And he was like, what's wrong with you? And I literally said that to me. And I, I told Stacey when I got in and she was like, what is, what, what is, like, who's he pretending to be? And it does become that norm, but I saw so many men with such good families and good morals also just lose that will to say no for one hour and they completely ruin their whole marriage and their relationship with their kids for one hour because they they couldn't control themselves because they felt they had to prove a point to the boys and be accepted and 
you know, the next morning they get all the plaudits or whatever it might be. And then when I got a little bit older, you started to see WhatsApp groups and team group chats sort of invented. And you get the younger boys in there doing anything that they could to impress the older lads. And that would be, you know, you go on a team night out and they 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 want to prove that they took a girl home. So maybe she was walking to the bathroom after they, you know, had sex or whatever, and they'd take a picture and put it in the group chat and go, look what I've done. And I'd go around now talking, that's, that's a criminal offence. Like, get yourself in a lot of trouble for that. But a lot of these young, insecure men, which is what a lot of these people are, and a lot of people that I've come across in football are, are trying to make themselves feel better by doing this and trying to prove themselves or they're trying to gain acceptance from a group. But actually, if, you, if like you said, and this is why I love talking to like the group of young professionals I spoke to the other day between the age of 18 and 20 and saying to them, you know, in 10 years time, you boys will be those senior lads. Like you're getting this message in now. You could be the one that pauses and goes, look, mate, that isn't you. You haven't got to prove anything to to us by taking that picture. You don't have to treat girls like that. You know, we accept you. You're enough as you are. I think so many people and men need to hear that. You are enough. And a lot of us don't feel that. But I saw it, you know, I saw it a lot in, in football. But I also know it happens a lot in an office place. I've been, you know, in pubs over the years with mates in different industries and heard the way that they talk about women and girls and sex and it isn't limited to sport by any means, but if you have conversations like this, people can actually let their guard down and go, yeah, actually, I don't really want to be doing that. That isn't me. And uh, yeah, hopefully, as as we said in the first episode, we can have these kind of conversations for people maybe. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I resonate so much with everything you just said. I, I, I remember being approached by a senior player that when I first joined professional cricket and he, he said to me listen we, we we we're not faithful until we're 40 and <laughs> it's just madness you know it's just a bit I, I think and again I know I can feel myself getting a bit uncomfortable because I feel like I'm doing that holier than thou thing it's not that you know what what someone chooses to do or not do or mistakes people make or don't make that that's life you know that's that's people's that's the journey they take. And I, God, I've made plenty of mistakes in my time and, you know, and we learn and grow from them for sure. But I think the point that I want to make around it is for men, young men, and definitely the impact of porn on that is that it really feeds into the fact that the man should know exactly what he's doing. He is in charge. He's the dominant one. Sorry, I keep referencing man, but I'm obviously talking about, uh, you know, a heterosexual relationship because it's my experience. But, mm. you know, uh, uh, my experience is the man has to be the dominant one. He has to know what he's he's doing. He has to know, you know, he must be the in charge in the bedroom. He must know exactly how this is going to pan out. Da, 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 da. But you just only have to have a look online at the statistics of the the percentage of women that are sort of sexually unsatisfied through their life. It's really high. So, you know, breaking news, I don't think we have got it cracked, you know. It's like, but every message that's coming out is like, you know, we we need to be this way. Mm. And imagine addressing where someone who'd come along, a senior player, rather than say, we're not faithful till we're 40. Someone go, listen. That's not that's not you. You don't have to do that. But like likewise, there'd be an environment in which men can be like, I don't know what I'm doing really. Or I don't really know how to, you know, 
satisfy a woman or a mm. man. Or, I don't, I don't get it. I've, I, and I, I watch it on porn and I think, oh, that's the way it's meant to be done. But I don't even enjoy that. I don't mm. like it. I don't know what I'm doing. W- when do men ever have that conversation? I've never, that's the sort of conversation that I could imagine you and I ever ha- happening, yeah. but I don't know. I've never in my experience had to heard a man talk to me like that, or, you know, open up like that or two men do it. I, I don't know. Do you? And, and these, these insecurities and feelings that I, I carry that you carry that a lot of, you know, I've, I have had some of these conversations with my friends now because we're a little bit older. If we tried to have this at 21, I think we'd have all tried to give it the big end and, you know, we wouldn't have gone anywhere. But some of us are older now with kids and we can actually talk a little bit like this. Maybe not as in-depth as me and you can talk. But the, these insecurities led me to alcohol. Like, I I felt like, and, and when I did, you know, sorry, mum, for listening to this, um, but when I did lose my virginity, I um I had to be, I had to have a few drinks. And I felt, you know what? I can't do this. I can't, I don't feel confident enough. I don't think I'm going to last long enough. All those kind of things that you you get as a young kid. So I was like, if I have a few drinks, maybe that will help. Or at least maybe I'll be a bit more carefree. And as a young player, I didn't want to drink heavily. But it was a, it was a sort of social awkwardness around girls anyway that, that I felt I needed that. But definitely around sex. And... I talk really openly with with groups of of young players about this, but later on, I you know maybe when I did start becoming a bit more sexually active and that kind of thing, I was fine on a night out, and I would you know take a girl home or whatever it might be, but I'd always be terrified to actually meet up during the week sober with that girl because I was thinking that means I'm going to have to have a drink because she ain't getting the version of me that she got the other night because you know, that was alcohol. So I would often, you know, only really take a girl out or whatever it was when I'd had a couple of drinks, even if it was one or two that gave me that sort of placebo effect, if you want. But I felt like no one else felt like this because I, it's funny though, because I I lived in a house when I was 19 with, with three other teammates and I thought they all had it together and I thought that they had none of these issues. But now we're older and I've had a, some good conversations with a couple of them. They were feeling the same thing. They were seeing me, you know, with a girl thinking, blimey, he's, he's got a girl. I need to go and get a girl back then if, if Fraser's got one and he must know what he's doing. And I and it's almost like that, that cycle of we're all pretending, we're all almost competing at times, but none of us know what we're doing. None of us have got it together. We're all insecure, but actually all pretending to the other one that, you know, we're the, we're the strong man that knows it all. But as I said, these these conversations are ones that hopefully we can begin to have because, as I said, not all women have it, and I don't I don't know I'm not privy to a lot of those conversations, but I would hope they do. Hope I hope a lot of women are as open and you know do talk about these things. I definitely think they they would talk about it a lot more than we men do. Yeah, no, I I think for sure. But I I think that thing of having alcohol to have sex. Yeah, I'm ex- I was exactly the same, you know, exactly the same. It was my social awkwardness that alcohol cured for me. It stretched from, you know, literally just saying hello to somebody to to, to having a, you know, a sexual relationship for sure. And, and alcohol took that away from me. But but you and I both will know people in our lives, not necessarily in our lives, but we know people 
who might not have had sex without being drunk for a long time. In fact, so long that they can't remember what it was like sober. I mean, that's that's quite terrifying, isn't it? You know, imagine it's something is that's, you know, so a part of our nature, isn't it, as human beings is to, to consummate and be intimate and we can't do it without having alcohol in our system. And, you know, I, I know we talked about this a while ago, but in sobriety, we've both been approached by people saying that I, I don't know how to, to have sex sober. I've never, mm. never, you know, I've either never done it or it was so long ago, I can't remember. You know, that's again, it's all part of that act. It's all part of, you know, that lonely island that someone sticks themselves on. And obviously we're talking about men here, but this applies to women for sure in this case. But men who stick themselves on this island going, I need to have all the answers. I need to know. And if I if I don't have the answers, I've just got to pretend like I do. Mm. And we crack on. I, I've had a, a good couple of conversations on this with, because um, people have reached, because I've done some talk about alcohol quite a lot and, my use of it you get people saying you know how do you socialize how do you do this how do you do that and and the sex one has come up a few times but what's also come up quite a few times is not the actual act of sex but approaching a partner about sex and these you know sometimes it's people that have been married for 20 odd years but the they only feel comfortable enough to initiate it with a partner if they've had a drink or if the partner's had a drink, because it's then like, right, this barrier's down. Maybe, you know, something might happen. But without alcohol, it's like, right, never going to happen or I'm not going to try or um, there's a little bit of fear there. And um, I think that's probably come up, for me anyway, equally as much as the actual, you know, intimate moment of sex. It's the approach. How do I approach my partner or how do I approach it without alcohol? And um, yeah, hopefully the you know these these conversations can can spark those thoughts in people. But again, I think as as partners, as as man and wife, as boyfriend and girlfriend, often that's one that's maybe not even spoken about um, too much. So again, someone might listen to this and then they might be able to take take it into their their everyday life. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to remember that we have told people that our wives are going to come on this podcast at some oh, point. God. So, <laughs> we, <yeah. laughs> it's going to be a topic. I, I get. I guess the. Um, I guess the question mark. What's the answer to it for men? We're highlighting a problem that we we think, and um, as fathers, or you know, a, an uncle like you were talking about your your nephew earlier, we can arrest that um, to to some extent. But, but how do we culturally shift it for men? How do we create space or knowledge that says to young men, porn isn't where you're going to learn about sex as such? Not really. You know, it's in fact, it's going to have a really detrimental effect, effect on you. How do we do that? I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know all, all the answers either. Um, I think conversations are, are a big starting point. I think... Um, if you go beyond that, it's um, actually how how ethical some of the pornography is that is so freely accessible. And if you put a paywall behind it or you put guidelines behind it, will less young people view it 100%. I know because I do some of this work that there are campaigns and, and a lot of websites that 
uh, deal with ethical porn, um, which is probably a slightly different angle. Maybe it is a more realistic view of what 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 sex is for a young person. But I think with with the media, with social media, like you said, even some of the, like the comedy programs that we consume, chuck little things in there that that maybe play on these insecurities that a young man might have or a young lady might have. So I definitely think a lot in the media and social media plays a part. And then I always, when I do these sessions, it's, you know, how um, how realistic is it to say to a group of young teenagers, right, none of you watch pornography ever again. You'd like to think that maybe some of them don't need to consume it in the manner that they do. But I think we've got a long way to go before there's an actual real setback from it. But there's got to be alternatives. There's got to be conversations. There's got to be I don't remember having any sexual education from school, any. So, I, and I'm not, I don't know because I've not been in high schools or anything like that, but I don't know what's being taught or whether there can be an angle there as well. Well, no, I mean, there's sexual edu- education and, and I'm on, on one level, but I think there's also another thing. You know, my, my son and daughter who uh, are twins, both 14 in the last couple of years at, uh, at secondary school have had lessons in which sexual education has been taught, but you know, the full, full range, which has been really good for them. But I think there's that education, but then there's the kind of sort of society education for them as to, it's not necessarily what it is or what you do, or it, it's, I think it's more that the attitude and the, the vulnerability of what it's about and being a man. And, I, and I'm sure on another podcast, we are going to talk about this, but being a man, a strong man in a relationship with a woman or another man, what, what that is, what you bring to the table and sex is very much part of that. It's very much part of what attitude and respect you bring that. And if you're bringing this kind of, you know, well, I know what I'm doing. This is what we're going to do. do, do, do just generally, Generally, I think that's going to be a real challenge, and it's 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 that education, you know, it's that like we go back to our experience with someone putting their arm around you and going, "This if you, if you you know if you don't really feel comfortable, you don't really know what you're doing, just feel free to say, no one's going to laugh at you, mm. you know, let's talk about it, and we'll kind of work it out between ourselves." That that education that I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, what I was going to ask you was when you did that session with the the rugby lads the other day forget porn for a minute because you know we're kind of casting it as in a uh, an entirely bad place which i don't think is totally fair um i'd rather go that angle than not but i don't think it's totally fair but just generally when you did that session with the rugby lads how did you how do you feel like they were afterwards do you think their eyes were lit up do you think they hand on heart do you think they go away and go shit we we need to you need to change this, what with, you know, our environment or be mm. better at this. Or do you think they pay lip service to it and they go back and they're back into that old construct of alpha? Some of them will, 100% some of them will. It will go in one ear and out the other and they wouldn't be ready for it. But because I've done this quite a lot now, I I can I can see the sigh of relief on on some players' faces because I open up about my own experiences. Really? And I've had, yeah. And I'm, I really want to do that. And I'm, I'm more than comfortable putting myself through that and those vulnerabilities. If it, if it helps that kid that I could have been at 16 or 15, whatever it might have been, I know how much that would have helped me. And I've, I've had good messages um, off the back of it and stuff. So I think you'll get maybe a third will go, right, I don't care about that. I'll, I'll carry on doing what I'm doing. 
maybe you'll get a third that are right in that middle group that are key for me. They're not inbuilt to be part of that rugby lad culture. They're maybe just walking into it and could get swept along. So you could end up, you know, really helping a lot of those guys. And then you'll get a third, I really do believe, that think, blimey, he's just he's just told my story there. And yeah, I don't have to do that. So I think, you, you know, I'd be naive to go 100% of those are going to be on board. But what I do say is, when I did become a senior player, and I was never involved in this, but what I didn't do and that I, I regret is I didn't call out anything out. I just let it go. So if someone put something stupid in the WhatsApp group or was really disrespectful, I just go, oh God, look at this idiot. And just, just scroll past or just let him say what he's saying in the change room. But actually being brave enough to go, come on, like, don't say that in here. I remember we'd get, you know, there'd be people that would come to the training ground and then, or whatever it might be, and you'd, you'd get the lads in there afterwards talking about a certain person in a certain way. And I'd be, in my head, I'm thinking, you can't be doing that. You can't be talking like that. But I would never say it and I wasn't brave enough to say it. So I think having, you know, creating some of those strong leaders in teams are, are really good and people that actually call stuff out. But um, yeah, again, hopefully it just plants that seed where people go, you know, I don't have to be this this character. I don't have to treat women this way or talk about them that way. And I can be brave enough, you know, to be myself. I, I sometimes in my head think, what would I tell my younger self around it? You know, if I could go back and I've, I've talked about that a little bit, but what's interesting for me is I have a 14 year old son now, you know, who's well and truly going through puberty and is, you know, he's bigger than me and um, he's going to be a young man before I, I know it. he kind of is a young man already. And, and I, I sometimes think of, you know, when you've got a son, it is like, you know, that opportunity to talk to your younger self. And I think the message I'd give him around body image, around sex, around being a man in these situations is what you said earlier, you're enough. You are enough. As human beings, we are all enough. And as a man, you don't need to always show everyone you have the answers, particularly mm -hmm. in a sexual relationship. You can be vulnerable. and But treat the other half of that relationship, a girl or a boy, with the utmost respect at all times. And I know I'm going to sound a bit too sort of saintly, saintly. I don't, I'm not saying life's as simple as that. I get, you know, I'm not, I'm not. But even in a one night stand, someone can treat someone with respect always. You know, there's not, doesn't, it doesn't have to be what you see. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be, you know, just, but that level of respect to the other person, I think is, is what I would have told myself, mm. you know, it's like, cause it's partly it's respecting the other person. It's partly respecting yourself as well. And just if you, you know, if you don't really know what's going on, I don't know if you'd feel comfortable talking to your dad about it, but I, I would, you know, I'd be very happy, comfortable having that conversation with my son, but, but speak, find an outlet to speak about it and, and not get trapped in that old con construct of what we think it's all about. Mm. I think, I think it's, it is breaking down that stigma because it is, for whatever reason, it's become ingrained to be an awkward subject to talk about. So one that we just avoid. And even me saying there, I've got an 11 year old nephew. We walked to the shop yesterday and I'm, I'm trying to reassure him in a roundabout way that he's enough that, oh, when I was your age, because I knew this podcast was coming up as well. So it's in my head. 
when I was your age, yeah, I, I didn't have a growth spurt till I was 16, 17. He's like, really? Because he sees me now and I'm six foot two and I've got a beard. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't have hair on my face until I was 16 and stuff like that. So I'm sort of beating around the bush trying to plant stuff in. But there's still part of me that's holding back going, this awkward conversation. But, <laughs> you know, we, we have to have them. And, and you made a really good point there about even in a one night stand, you can be respectful. And I always try and put that into the sessions that I do because I don't want to say to him, right, find a girl, get married, settle down, then you can have sex. And like I'm like, look, you're young lads, go out, enjoy yourself, explore. And there's, there's literally a circle that I've got at the end where it says give respect, get respect. And it's like a, a cycle that goes round. And I also, we talk about um, messaging girls online, which is huge for, for young lads now. And it's the way that they message girls online. And if you go flying in asking for nudes and being disrespectful and be feeling entitled, they're often the cases where you've treated someone disrespectfully and, and they, there's going to be consequences on you, on the club. And I've been involved in these incidences. But I also say to him, look, I'm not a hypocrite. You know, I had single years. I I met my wife through direct messages. So you can go and you can talk to girls online. You can speak to them on, on Instagram, on their inbox or Twitter, whatever it might be. But the difference is I went in there genuinely asking how she was. You know, we ended up meeting up after a, a little while. Not going in going, show us this, show us that. <laughs> and I think, especially with the way that the modern world is, everything's instant. You know, you can swipe on things like Tinder and Instagram and it's like instant. So some of these lads can message a girl and go, you up for it tonight? If they say no, right, on to the next one. And it's like, that is creating like just a really unhealthy impatience and instant kind of thing where you come away from it and you go, look, just be respectful. You can still live and explore and, you know, be sexually active, whatever it might be, if you look after yourself and the other person. So I think that's a, a good point to make that, that you made there. Yeah, and it, it get, this all goes both ways. You know, I've I've got twins, boy and a girl, and these messages are as important to my daughter as they are to my son. But this this podcast is about, you know, it's focused on men and I and so hence we that's where where it is focused. But I don't want it to appear that this doesn't go all around, you know, and it, it really does. And and the the impact that, for instance, porn has on young girls is also seriously detrimental about where it is and, and what they in modern society should be expected to do, or you know, from sending photos to whatever it is and and that is all feeding into again that kind of society of you're not enough you're not enough mm. you've got to you know do this this is the performance this is what we've got to do and so these messages are as important for young girls as they are yeah, for young boys that's a, that's a great point that is yeah and I, I felt conscious about it the whole way through because because of my daughter and mm. you know and I I'm I am I get. I don't know. Am I that protective dad? I, I, I guess we all are. I don't know. But I, the thing for my daughter, she's beautiful and powerful and wonderful, and she is more than enough. And she, you know, I just would always want her to feel like that. That she doesn't need to. Doesn't need to be anything to that she needs to supplement or you know or fill a gap that because of, of some sort of feeling. And I think if she feels that and she knows that she will find healthy relationships as will my son for that matter because mm. it's that gap of not feeling enough but it's 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 super powerful for us to to get that across to young men and women for sure 
Um, look, if if anyone listening or watch, watching agrees or disagrees with us, and I really mean this, like I welcome it all. Tell us, tell us, we're, we're not, we're definitely not here going. This is the world according to uh, Luke and Fraser. It's not. It's just us just talking and being open about our feelings and thoughts and opinions on stuff. But if you disagree or agree with us, please message, put comments in privately or publicly. And we're really happy to look at look at it. This, you know, we're going to be going through other podcasts, tackling male insecurities. You know, this has been about body image and about sex, but we're going to move on to other ones as well. And there is another point of view. There is another way. If, if we brought Andrew Tate on, this is now two podcasts I've mentioned his <laughs> name, he'd probably say something different to us, wouldn't he? You know, and so, you know, let's, let's have that conversation. A conversation is better than no conversation mm. as far as I'm concerned. Right, mate. I think that brings us to the end of episode two. We're flying now. We've, you know, this is like old masters here. How are you feeling, mate? I'm good. I'm good. I, I feel like we've covered a lot there. It's gone really yeah. quickly, and I think you're in a you're in a brilliant position on this as well. Just just even for learning, like I, I use this as learning, but to have twins and have you know the boy and the girl angle at 14 years of age, you're in a, a prime position to see both sides of this and to see. Or try and understand where these, you know, healthier behaviours can come from for both of your your, your children, um, and it's what we what we want to do. We're not here for any other reason than to have these conversations to, you know, take them away from the mic and into everyday life. And I, I I'm really really confident that if we had a group of men that listened to this, you get a lot of them coming away from it with a sigh of relief or feeling they're not alone or actually having a bit of fuel to spark a conversation with their partner or their friends um and yeah just just feeling safe enough to talk about these kind of things so it's done a lot for me and and hopefully it's done that for you too yes absolutely good work mate and i'm just conscious that we're not going to have another podcast or not going to record another podcast rather until after you've had your heart surgery so i'm obviously wishing you all the best for that and you know, I expect you to stick a podcast mic under your nose within, you know, 38 minutes from coming out of consciousness. No, honestly, I really do. I know it's a big thing and sending you lots of love and a big hug. And we'll, we'll talk about it all when you're, when you're out the other side. Ah, I appreciate that, my man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Understanding Men podcast. Once again, you can find us on all the major uh, social media platforms, including Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. We will be promoting each episode on our own social media and on the podcast social media, so please look out for it. Like I said earlier, any comments, suggestions, opinions, please give them to us. We welcome it all. We want to make this as interactive as possible. Also, If you've liked what you've heard, then please go ahead and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. And importantly, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating would be wonderful to help other people find us. So for now, thank you for listening and watching and we will see you again soon.